0: All right, we'll, we'll go ahead and uh, pray, ask God to open our eyes to His Word, and then get into the Scripture. Father, we are grateful that you have drawn us here. God, we ask you to change us from the inside out. Open our eyes so that we might see you more clearly through your Word to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, all the kids, y'all can go ahead and roll out. This is Promotion Sunday, and what that means is every fall, we're elevating kids to their next tier if they're changing classes. So that's what's going on here this Sunday. I'll just wait a moment for them to all get on out. All right. So uh, recently... Recently came home from work, you know, like one of those long, sweaty work days, and, uh, and one of my daughters kind of came up to me and, and grabbed my arm, and she was being affectionate, being sweet, and, uh, and then got a little too close, and then she immediately said, your arm stinks. <laughs> I'm in the restaurant business, and so in the restaurant business, you know, if you're, if you're around the food for like 45 minutes, it's super pleasant, right? Um... If you're around biscuits and bacon and donuts and, you know, all kinds of burgers and fun stuff, smells great. But if you're there for like 10 hours, you know, it overstays its welcome. And if you've ever worked in the restaurant business before, you know what I'm talking about. It, it travels with you everywhere you go. We've been talking about aromas. We've been talking about smells the last couple of weeks and what it's like for a Christian to have an aroma everywhere he or she goes. Not every Roma is like a nasty arm that's been around frying oil too long. But but uh, one of the one of the things that I get to do every quarter is to go out to a restaurant we have in Las Vegas. And in Las Vegas, if you've never been to one of the hotels on the Strip in Las Vegas, you've never been able to experience this. And it, it's it's an uh, unbelievable marketing uh, it, you know, experience for the person who's a guest and a ploy for those who are putting the place together. But when you walk into these nice hotels, they, there is this aroma. They pump through the system, the ventilation system. And every hotel has its own unique aroma. So when I go to the Cosmopolitan Hotel in Las Vegas once a quarter, this is, I do this every time. I get out of the Uber. And I walk to the front door and I get ready mentally for what's coming. And I think how much I'm going to like this smell. So as I walk through, I take a huge breath in and I'm like, yes, this is how it's supposed to smell in here. And they literally pump it through the ventilation system. And so there's, there's awful smells and there's, there's great smells at camp. We, we had a one experience where there was a football team, a high school football team, doing two practices a day. And they borrowed the auditorium one time right before one of our services after one of their practices. And so you walked into that auditorium and every student had the exact same sour, nasty face like, what just happened in here? And so there's the high school football smell if you've ever been in the locker room. But, but aromas can be all over the place. The way things smell can be everywhere. And I wrote this uh, in your outline if you'd like to read along with me. Our last two Sunday morning sermons have been focused on the smell or aroma of people who follow Jesus. Each of us have aromas that are extremely delightful. And we also carry high school football locker room aromas. As Christians, our hope is that we smell like Christ to those around us in our family, our friend groups, our faith community, and to those who are far from God. Our family of churches here at Lakeview Christian Center, and the name of that family of churches is Sovereign Grace Churches, that family of churches has identified seven aromas that we can rally around as churches and as a people of God. The sermon last week taught us about the aroma of humility, and we will talk about the aroma of servanthood this week. Let's take a moment to remember that we as people are naturally assigning descriptions to words like humility and servanthood. The description we assign may or may not be built on biblical truths. Our intention is to describe these virtues with the Bible being its substructure. Those who are near to Christ or far from Christ can ascribe to themselves words like humility, servanthood, joy, or gratitude with ease. Our hope, though, is to live a life filled with the biblical substance of these virtues, as opposed to a thin veneer of behavior that signals our moral goodness to those around us. God, through Christ, is both the definer and model of servanthood. Therefore, he is the appropriate person to teach us through scripture about servanthood. So our working definition for servanthood today is the act of, and listen closely, setting aside our rights as we prefer others' good in order to draw attention to what God has done for us through the life and death of Jesus Christ. So it's, it's not, y'all, it's not just setting aside our rights for the good of other people. That I can ascribe that to myself and be far from God and have no intention to recognize anyone's goodness other than my own. So we have to be careful. It's not just setting aside our rights for the good of others. Servanthood Servanthood is about setting aside our rights for the good of others so that, and I'll read that in order, I wrote it, to draw attention to what God has done for us through the life and death of Jesus Christ. There's a purpose to servanthood that the Bible subscribes. It's not just we are good and better people, but rather we are trying to point to someone who is good and better. So our hope today is threefold. And this is in your notes. Number one, to observe and learn from the Apostle Paul's servanthood toward the Philippians. So we want to take a look at Paul. And we want to learn a little bit about how he modeled servanthood toward a church in a particular city called Philippi. We also, number two, want to lean into God's instruction and expectation toward us regarding serving others. So it's not just let's look at Paul and what he did for the Philippians. Let's also see what God is telling us And what responsibility and expectation he has upon us to serve other people. And then thirdly, to be reminded of how Christ served us so that we can be more mindful of our indebtedness to him. Which should in fact result in greater worship and greater service toward Christ. So we're going to look at Paul, we're going to look at what God has to say about our behavior and service, and then we're going to look at Christ, which should hopefully remind us of how in debt we are to him, which naturally should force us to respond to that service in a more worshipful and servant-oriented way toward him and also toward his people, which are the people that are sitting next to you this morning at the least. And so, in some way, I do want you to contextualize what we're going to talk about regarding service. The first thing you can do is look around the room. And you can know that the Bible is addressing each of us regarding the people who are sitting in this place. The book of Philippians is the Apostle Paul writing to a bunch of people just like you who gathered together. And he had something very specific to say to them about one another. So it's about us. In addition, it doesn't just stop here, but it's also about the people outside of these walls who may be sitting next to you today. But how about your family? How about the person you lay in bed with that night, or if you're younger, or if you're single, that you hope one day to find someone like that? Or maybe the children in your home that God has given you as precious gifts, gifts to steward them well, like He would steward them well if He were still in a physical body, like Christ was obviously in a physical body. Those people we should also be contextualizing and say, are we serving them well? And how about your neighbor? How about your workplace? How about the community that we live in here in South Louisiana? All of these people are represented, I think, here in the Scripture, that we have a sense of responsibility toward each and every one to serve them well, much like Christ has served us. So the book of Philippians. So we'll talk just a little bit about the the background. And what's happening here in the book is um, there's a man named Epaphroditus. And if I would have had a fourth son, no doubt my wife would have been begging for that name. So Epaphroditus is a faithful Christian in the church of Philippi. And the church of Philippi learns of a very unfortunate circumstance that the apostle Paul is in. Now they had met by the time the book of Philippians happens, roughly 10 years prior to that, they had met the Apostle Paul and he planted a church in that city. The first church built in Europe was the, book, or was the city of Philippi. Now we get the book of Philippians to these people. And so they find out that Paul is in a very, very tough circumstance in prison. And so they, we find in Philippians chapter 4 later on, this church was so indebted to Paul's service to them that they felt responsible to serve him in return. And so they sent, old boy, Epaphroditus on a long journey. And it's, most scholars would believe or agree that Paul was in Rome at the time, and so this is like sending him on a journey roughly to St. Louis or Chicago, somewhere in that category of distance based on what the weather might have been like or what mode of transportation you were forced to take. And so Epaphroditus is, he's about it. He's like, yo, I'm going to go on a trip. I'll be back whenever I get back, but I'm gonna go bring this money and all of the support and the prayers, and we're gonna show him that we love him, we care for him, we want to serve him, how sad it must be that he's in prison. And and up until now, usually people are agreeing that around two years almost, Paul has been in prison. So Epaphroditus is on his way, and then he gets there, and it's a trek, y'all. You know it's not an easy trek back, and you probably want to take some time. You're leaving your family. You're leaving your friends. And you want to go probably hang out with Paul, not like, hey, dude, here's some cash. You good? I'm out. It probably didn't look like that. It probably was an engagement and a, a bit of a stay. Well, what we find out is that Epaphroditus became very, very ill almost to death. And he almost died while he was out there serving the apostle Paul. Who was in prison for serving a different group of people? And the only reason he was in prison serving a different group of people is because Christ came to serve the Apostle Paul. So there's this beautiful kind of circular thing happening. And so it's, it's helpful to know that Paul, he takes a letter and he gives it to Epaphroditus. And he says, hey, when you go back, can you give him this letter? I mean, think about that. We just sent out... Uh, some missionaries from this place. And if you're new to the church, you may not know Ben and Jen. But this is a family that just moved far, far away, further than Chicago or St. Louis. And can you imagine that they find themselves in prison? And they were a part of our family. They were a part of our church family. And then we hear that they find themselves in prison and they can't provide for themselves anymore. And they're in a very difficult circumstance. And then we gather among ourselves and we're like, man, there's got to be something we can do. And so we take up an offering and we write a bunch bunch of checks and we we pick out the Epaphroditus of our church and we say, hey, give him love. Give him everything from the bottom of our hearts. Just let him know we're here for him. We're serving him. Take care of him. And then our Epaphroditus almost dies while, while he's out there. But then God has mercy on him. He heals him. He gives and then Ben and Jen give him a note and they bring it back to Lakeview Christian Center because email correspondence does not exist. And he brings it back, and then no doubt Epaphroditus gets up says, this is, this is what Paul, this is what he wanted to tell y'all. Imagine that. How beautiful of a picture. Wouldn't you just be like, let me lean in on this. So it's important to remember the context. So we're getting this passage out of that story. So the first thing we want to look at is Paul's servanthood toward the Philippians. Philippians 1, verse 29 and 30. So almost in the very beginning of his note, after being cared for and loving these people, it's a big old fat thank you note. It's so much more than that. But you got to think, that's what how they're receiving it in some regard. In verse 29, we're going to jump into a little bit of heaviness here. We're passing up all the stuff that's like, I love y'all, right? And then we jump into verse 29, and he says this to the Philippians. For it has been granted to you. Another way to say that is, God has given you favor. You got, we don't say these words very often, but you got lucky. You get the chance to. So God, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, and wouldn't we all agree, you should not only believe in him. Isn't that like... Fortunate. Paul's like, man, God has given you so much good. It's been granted to you. His mercy, his grace, his favor has been poured out upon you that you have come to know Christ. And every Philippian in that moment is probably like, hoorah. Goes on. You should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Paul, come on, Paul. I know it's fortunate to be able to know Christ, but to suffer for him. You're saying God has poured out his favor upon me in that there is suffering in my life? You know, it would be pretty easy for any listener, including us today, to be like, I'm good. I'll just take the salvation, but I don't want the suffering. I'll take the goodness, but don't make me do things that I don't want to do. Don't put me in positions where I'm on the underside of power. That, that's not something I'm really interested in. That would be easy for each of us. But Paul has something different in mind. In verse 30, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now here that I still have. Here's a good question. What is the conflict that they saw he had? Because it's different when you see something, but now they're hearing. Epaphroditus goes out because they heard there was suffering. But there was a time where they saw his suffering. And we should lean into what he's trying to remind them of. Because without it, we might fly right past that and say to ourselves like, Oh, cool verse. We should suffer for Jesus. Paul suffered for these people. Paul served these people and they saw it. And so in Acts chapter 16, if you go take a look at Paul's second missionary journey and you find how he makes his way over to Philippi, you find the very first interaction that he has with the city of Philippi. This is beautiful. So in Acts... Chapter 16, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Verses 6 through 40. So like when my kids, you know, even still read them. You you know those big old books that you're like, they pick out and you're like, dude, I don't want to read you that whole book. When they're four years old and you're putting them to bed. So we're not going to read all six through 40. And I like to make things up when I read my kids books when they were younger as well. So all sorts of fun things happening. Hopefully I'm not going to make anything up today. But we'll read a little bit. And then we'll just talk about roughly what happened after that. And so read with me in verse six. And they went, this is speaking of Paul, through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. That sounds weird. That God would forbid the Apostle Paul to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in Asia at that time. But that's what we find. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia... All these weird cities. Metairie would fit in great. Imagine a 100 years from now, Metairie doesn't exist. Meta Irai. I'm like, that's what's, we don't know what these places are, but, but these are real places with real people. And so they go into Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So God's at work through Paul to serve a particular people, not just anyone. I mean, we could be in any church in the United States of America. You could be in any church in the world. You could be married to any other person. But you happen to live next door to, sleep in the same bed with, share aisles with, have children who you didn't know what they were going to. God intended those people to be served by you. Much like God has intentions here to forego... And to not be deeply rooted and connected with a particular people for the sake of another people. And so Paul is being prevented from going to Asia. So in a vision appeared, verse 9, to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God has called us to preach the gospel to them. So he gets a vision in the night, and it's a man in Macedonia. Come preach. We need help. And then he concludes, God has been not allowing me to go here so that I might go here. God is intentional about who he puts us around to serve. Verse 11, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis. And here it is. And from there to Philippi. He went west. He wanted to go east. But God made him go west. And he ended up in Europe. The very first church that was ever founded in Europe was Philippi. This is So setting sail, he finds himself from there to Philippi, verse 12, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. Now look, what we're about to read in Philippians or continue on, this about a decade before, roughly 10 years prior, they end up in Philippi. And then this is what happens. There is a group of people out on the water roughly Lake Pontchartrain, the levee. And they're praying, and it's women. And Paul and all of his friends, they end up finding themselves next to them. And then there's one woman in particular, Lydia, who's a God-fearer, but not a Christian. And Paul ends up sharing the gospel with with all of these women as they're praying, and these seem to be Jewish women or oriented at least toward that faith. And then Lydia God opens her heart. She's a seller of purple things. We don't know what that means, but maybe beautiful fabric. But this is purple Lydia. And so she is saved. And so she says, hey, why don't you come back with me to the house? She's a woman of many means. We can take care of you and give you, you know, rest and food. And I need to hear more about this stuff. And I need my family and my home to hear more about this stuff. So Paul complies with them and with her and goes back. And then he continues to go to that place of prayer. And then one day when he goes to that place of prayer, there's a girl who's a slave. And she is a fortune teller. And she is owned by men. And those men make money off of this poor girl who is demon possessed, who can tell the future. And so she's reading tarot cards. It didn't start in Jackson Square, y'all, although it seems like it did, huh? So she's reading tarot cards. And then Paul, I love the language in the scripture, says he just becomes annoyed because she's following the the apostle and his friends and proclaiming, these dudes know what's up. Listen to what they got to say. Now, when you have a demon-possessed woman saying, good things about a Christian, that would make you a little uncomfortable, rightly so. And she's following him around day after day after day, and then eventually he turns around, he becomes annoyed, and then he says, in the name of Jesus, for this woman's good, he casts out the demon, and she is no longer filled with that demon. What a weird entrance into Philippi. And so then the owners of that girl, they get mad. Big mad. Because they just lost their income. So they go lying on Paul and all of his friends. And they go tell all the government, these guys over here are causing a ruckus. And it's not cool. We got to do something about it. I suggest you beat them. So naturally. They beat them. They flog them. And then they put them in prison. I wonder if this is what the Philippians might have been thinking about when Paul said, you saw what happened to me. You saw how I served you. You saw how I suffered. You saw how I sacrificed. You saw how I was at the expense of your good. And then he goes to prison. And then an earthquake happens. And then all of miraculously, as they're worshiping, Before the earthquake, they're worshiping it happens, and all of their stuff falls off. God intervenes and they become free. And then the prison guard he goes and grabs his sword and goes to fall on it to commit suicide. And Paul says, Whoa, 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 we're all here. Because the man naturally thought, This is my life. All of the prisoners, they're gone. But he says, Nope, we're here. And he says, Y'all, you're still here. I see what's happened. What must I do to be saved? And then he he takes Paul and the friends to his house. They preach the gospel to him and that whole household is saved. I wonder if that prison guard is reading the letter from Epaphroditus when it comes from Paul. I wonder if Lydia, who remembered being at Lake Pontchartrain praying, and then who watched the woman Have the demon cast out and then watched as those rods were beaten into Paul and then watched him go to prison yet still worship, suffer, sacrifice, serve. I wonder how many other people were there that day when they saw this and he says to them, Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. He's in prison again for a different church. And we're wondering if we should volunteer at church once a month. I mean, it's like, wow, Paul. You know what I've been through. Okay, so he reminds them about, about his service to them. So now we're going to look. At at God's instruction and expectation toward us regarding serving others. So chapter 2, verse 1. Coming right off of that. You remember, y'all, right? So coming right off that, verse 1. So, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, this is an argument of, of obviousness. It's not like, so if there's any encouragement, maybe it's up to you. No, no, no. It's like, so if there's any encouragement, because you know there is. That's the position he's taking to them. He's, it's not up for grabs. It's, a, it's an argument of strength. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, which there is. Another way to say this would be, since there is encouragement in Christ, since there is comfort from love, since there is participation in the Spirit, since there is affection and sympathy, completes my joy by being of the same mind. Imagine, this dude's putting on a clinic right now. He's educating these people on what servanthood is. Hey, y'all, remember? Remember what I did? If there's anything you've received from God, If there's any love, if there's any comfort, if the Holy Spirit has become a part of who you are and has reorganized your whole life, if you have any sympathy or love, then be of the same mind. He's talking to a group of people. Later on, chapter 4, verse 2, there's two women that he calls out by name. And there's some strife. Between these two women. And I can't help but think that right here those women are thinking to themselves. He's talking to me. And he doesn't even know it. Because my mind is this way and your mind is that way. And I think I'm right and I think you're wrong. And this happens all day in families and in churches. In workplaces. There's all sorts of positioning of power. And grabbing for advantages. And saying that I've done enough and you've not done enough. If there's anything that you've received from Christ, would you please have the mind of Christ toward one another? Have the same mind. What mind is he asking them to have? Very simply, the mind of Christ. The model of Paul. That they would get along. He goes on. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. I mean, you've got to imagine, they're just sitting there, if there's any disconnect, if there's a lack of unity, if there's a lack of service, if there is selfishness in their lives, they have to be reflecting right now in this moment and saying... Why have I gotten so far off track? Why am I still not forgiving these people? Why am I still so selfish with my time? Why do I make everything about me? Think about what Paul has done. Think about what Epaphroditus has done. He nearly died. He's still in prison. He comes back and Paul is loving us and encouraging us. If God has done anything for you guys, remember what I did for you. And in a a moment, he's about to remind them about what Christ did for them as well. But remember and have unity and we're wondering if we should serve once a month at church it's so much more so much more and now he goes hard you ready that was the soft stroke do nothing from rivalry or conceit. Certainly, you are exaggerating, Paul. Nothing? Y'all know what a good rivalry looks like? Like, this is me. I know I'm in a good rivalry when I think to myself, I don't want him to get hurt to the point of having a surgery and we won't play them in a few weeks as a result. But I wouldn't mind it. (laughs) I remember in high school, basketball was like ultra competitive, and I just wanted to beat everyone's brains out. And one of the things that uh, happened to us one year, I remember I was a junior in high school. I don't have a lot of great memories, but this is a fun one. And this team, we had just kind of come up into a new classification, and this team thought we were gonna be a bunch of scrubs. We're poor in basketball. And so they invite us to be the team they play against for homecoming. You know, like you always invite the team that you're going to beat for homecoming. Because that you want all the girls and all the guys and school spirit and cheerleaders and basketball players to be like, aren't we good for a day? And so they brought us through. And I had it on my mind every, that night and every time I played them, which we played them three more times. Oh, you're going to get beat. <laughs> Rivalry. Like I, I want your demise for my good. And I don't really even care about your demise as much as I better win. He says, do nothing. Okay, so he's preaching to me in my high school years. Okay, so it, admittedly. But he says do nothing from rivalry. Can I ask you a question? When you look around in this church, do you have any rivals? When you think about your home, do you have any rivals? You think about your workplace, you think about your neighborhood... Do you have any rivals? Do nothing out of rivalry. Nothing. This is servanthood. And do nothing out of rivalhood, rivalry, or conceit. And this is a a posturing, this is a positioning about who we are. How many times did you look in the mirror today, y'all? It's Easy. Easy to think about ourselves, isn't it? How many times do you think about the needs of others versus the needs of your own life? How many times do you think per day about the inconveniences that you have to work through versus the inconveniences of other people? It could give you a glimpse into conceit in our lives. If we are consumed with being on top and being better, And not being in a position of weakness. We need to read the book of Philippians. God has something to say to us. So nothing out of rivalry or conceit. And then he contrasts it and he says, But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. I mean, they're ringing, ringing, ringing with him being in prison 10 years ago for their sake. They gotta be thinking about the fact that he's St. Louis, Chicago away in another prison for somebody else's sake. Servanthood doesn't consider oneself first, but considers the needs of the others. And I know it's your money, y'all. It's your money, isn't it? And I know it's your possessions. It's yours, isn't it? Why? Because you worked hard for it. And they're your kids. And no one can tell you about your kids. Why? Because they're your kids. And don't get me started on yours. And don't don't get me started on all the things that I could say about you. Man, this just doesn't sound like what Christ did for us, does it? It doesn't sound like what Paul did did for the Philippians. And on and on. We could talk about it. And look, it's, I'm not exempt from this stuff. I'm saying your, I mean, it's mine, y'all. We're, we're here all day long. We live in this world. We are faced with these problems every day to serve ourselves. But God says in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. This is the Christian way. How can I help? Real simple. How can I help? Like, what do you need? What can I do? Is there any weakness that I can fill up? Is there a financial lacking? Are you in a prison type situation? Oh, oh, well, I'll travel 800 miles. Like, what else? You mean stay, and even if I fall to where I'm almost going to die, I'll be grateful for the opportunity to serve you, Paul, like you served us. Like what else can I do for you? How can I serve? This is the Christian way. This is the way that Paul modeled because it was modeled for him in Christ. And this is what we're still called to today. And this is where it gets good. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And here it is. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So he's now apexing. And this is where we're going to apex and then we're going to be done. He's now drawing attention to Christ. And it's like, if it wasn't already a mic drop, what Paul had done for them, Right? If it wasn't already like, all right, game over, and then those two women in chapter four, verse two, go say, find each other, and like, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm so, you sorry. I'll, will you forgive me? Yeah, I'll forgive you. If that wasn't enough, now he turns to Christ, and now is the most compelling argument for us to be servants, for us to smell like when we come around. People are just like, man. She's just willing to help. And his preferences are not so strong that he's unwilling to lay them down for the the good of others. And it's because of what Christ has done. So now we'll look at chapter 2, verse 6. Now we turn our attention to Jesus as Paul is turning the Philippians' attention to Jesus. Who... Speaking of Jesus. Though he was in the form of God. Mic drop. I mean, it's done. You could just stop right there. The pre-existence of Christ. Before you and I ever even existed, he was. Who was in the form of God. Who was God. This... This is Christ who is above all else, who is in the position of power, who has never sinned, never done anything wrong, never committed a lie, never lusted after someone in his heart. He is the creator and the maker of all things, who in the form of God. So it's like, Paul, you did some good stuff and y'all, we do some good stuff, but Christ. Before we ever did anything that had any semblance of goodness to it. Let's look at what he did. So in the form of God. Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. (laughs) He could have grasped for all of the advantages that he rightly sat in. That no one gave him. But that he existed in before our time even began. He could have sat in that forever. And who among us would have said, that's not fair? No one. He is God. He does what he wants. He is sovereign. He is in control. He is in charge. No one can take that from him. Yet, he did not grasp for his power For his righteousness, he did not hold that up high among all of you and us and we and say, I am great, figure it out. What a God that would be, huh? What a Christian that would be, huh? This is who we follow. He did not grasp at the power that he rightly deserved. Can we just be honest about ourselves for a moment and say any semblance of power or riches or wealth or reputation or influence or goodness or righteousness or behavior, none of it is ours. And we grasp for it. That's important. That's who we are by nature. Yet Christ. (laughs) He is not that way. Let's find out what he does. Verse 7, but he emptied himself. Another way to say that, he changed his status. Paul tells us in another place that though he was rich, he became poor so that those who were poor might become rich. This is Christ who empties himself. And he doesn't just empty himself in any old, good old-fashioned way. By taking the form of a servant. Another word there? Right word would be slave. Okay. This is just getting silly is what this is. This is like me picking up a a kid's book and making up what the king of the universe does as they're falling fast asleep. And I'm, and instead of me saying, and the king ruled for all of his days and they all lived happily ever after, I say, hey, let me switch it up. And the king became a peasant. And not only a peasant, but then he became a slave to the other peasants so that they would be put into a better position. The end. And my daughters look at me and laugh and say, Daddy, what really happened? And this is the story of Christ. This is what really happened. He takes on the form of a slave being born. He comes as a baby in weakness, needing to be taken care of, or he would die like a baby would. I mean, it it just continues to get more silly, doesn't it? Yet this is our God. And being found in human form, he humbled himself. Uh, Wait, uh, you just said he did all that. Now he's humbling himself? There's more to the story? He's not done yet serving. He's not done yet de staticizing himself. Yes, he's not done yet. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Even death on a cross. And so not only is he born in weakness, but through and through till death, he dies in weakness. Well, certainly they got that part wrong. It should have ended born in weakness and then finally one day recognized for who he is in life, right? Wouldn't that just seem to make sense? But not just any, any death either. The death of the cross. The death that the Romans came up with that they didn't even kill their own people by that death. They wanted that for the worst of the worst of the worst. And they wanted it to be the most tormentuous, oh, like... Wow, I can't believe you would even come up with such a bizarre and spectacular way to kill the worst of the worst people. This was the apex of all ways to die, yet Christ dies like that. And he's displaying something, Christ is, through his condescension, not grasping and not saying, I must, have status. He's displaying something by coming in the form of a baby, in weakness, in the likeness of men. He's displaying something by living a life that still is pretty chill all the way through death. He's displaying something that he ends up on a cross, naked, bloody, in public for all to see. He's displaying what it looks like to be a servant. Is it any wonder then that Paul rightly responds to that like this? Doesn't it kind of make sense? Oh well, well, well if he did that, well, then me. Right? This is just logical conclusion. It doesn't take like spirituality. Like you could believe this, and after you believe it, you don't have to pray about it. It's not like, hmm. What should I do now? It doesn't sound like that. It sounds like this. Well, well, if, well, if he engaged in that suffering, if he engaged in that servanthood, I probably should too. And then it looks like this. God, what do you want me to do? Because like really anything is appropriate for you to ask. Anything. And this is what Paul does. And this is what he models to the Philippians. And then he tells the Philippians, hey, have you ever received the love of Christ, remember the story I told you? Can you at least get along? Can you at least serve each other? Can, can you at least figure it out? And no, we're not talking about one hour of serving at church. This is like, that's, that's like, oh, it's silly. We're talking about life. We're talking about our disposition every day as Christians. We're talking about the unborn. We're talking about those in foster care. We're talking about those who are on the other side of power in this place, in our home, in the neighborhood and community we serve. We're talking about that, living a life that reflects the image of Christ. And it looks like you're condescending to serve in weakness so that others. This is servanthood. This is... This is why Christianity still exists today. Because of the good works of Christians for millennia now that have been going on. People who have been going to prison for thousands of years to serve. People have been sacrificing their whole lives. They're giving away their paychecks. They're starting hospitals and orphanages. They're figuring out education systems. They're writing all sorts of laws based on this. This is Christianity. This is servanthood. We would do well to reflect upon these scriptures and ask God this Do I smell like that? Like when when people come into my home, my hotel, does it pump through the system when they interact with me? Do they have stories to tell? Can they see? Look, this isn't about salvation. This isn't about looking a certain way. This is about modeling to draw attention to the one who ultimately served us well. And it should be pumping through the ventilation of our lives. When we walk out of the auditorium, it should smell like high school football two-a-days. It will be distinct It should be real. When someone gets up close to our arm, they should be like, hey, good to see. Oh, my gosh. You have a distinct smell. Where have you been for the last 10 hours? This is our faith. This is Christ. But it doesn't end there. Thank God. It doesn't end on a cross in weakness. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. So he raised him from the dead. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That thousands of years later, we are still talking about the name that is above every name. Yahweh, God, our Father, the Creator, Christ Jesus, who condescended the name above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every knee? Yes. Every knee. Whether it's now or in eternity, everyone will know. Christ is king. So that at the name of, every, of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And yes, Satan and his demons will confess. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Yet Christ is still giving glory back to the Father. He finishes on the same note that he always lived in. Glory to God. Beautiful picture. Y'all, we're wondering about silly, small things in life. I know you got a lot of kids. I know you want to get married. I know you got a lot going on. I know COVID has affected revenue. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. But there's something greater. There's a cause, there's a reason, there's something else. And it looks like Christ. And we give up. We relent. So when we worship, we can kind of say, like with open hands, like, God, what? And we're worried about how we look. And we pay more attention to the clothes that we wear. And we don't know what it looks like to pray or to read our Bible because there's no time. While Paul's sitting in prison, while Christ is condescending, and all of those things done for us, yet we're busy. Man, God is good in that he continues to be patient with me and you, isn't he? He's good. And the story doesn't end like woe is you and woe is us. The story ends us looking up at Christ and with worshipful hands, how could you? That's what it looks like. And then it finishes when we go out of this church and it says, God, what can I do? How can I serve? Amen. And so I put a few questions that I'm not going to go over, but in your handout or in the app if you have Reflect upon these five questions. They're just good starters, that's all. They're good starters for conversation at lunch today. They're good starters through your week. They're good starters with your kids and with your family. But you know what? They should lead us to action. And it's called servanthood. Let's all stand up and we'll pray and we'll sing. Father, we are grateful. We are grateful. And that is a good word. God, we are grateful for what your son has done for us. We're grateful that we can reflect upon a God who does not sit far away, does not stay seated in heavenly places, leaving us to figure things out, but rather, while enemies with you, you take on flesh The form of a person, a man, a baby, a child growing up all the way to the point of the cross. And you, Christ, stand in our place for our sins. So all of the selfishness and conceit and ambition, all of the rivalry that we naturally come by, that we don't have to work hard to get to, all of that, that... That could be forgiven. God, we're grateful. And we see, God, that you have not left this earth though Christ has been resurrected. The spirit of Jesus is still here. Going, moving, serving, giving. And God, we have been inhabited by that spirit, by that spirit that condescended, a spirit that did not grasp for heavenly things but took on the form of a slave. God, that dwells, that spirit dwells within us. Oh God, help us to emanate that light. Help us with every person Around us, Help us to see them through the eyes of the Spirit. That we would sacrifice, we would suffer, that we would serve them well. And God, we repent if there is anything in us that has been grasping for privilege. God, those of us, all of us, we have in some way, Been grasping for our rights and our privilege. God, help us to set aside our rights for the good of others so that we can point to Jesus who condescended and has now been glorified. God, help us to be that church who embodies that spirit every day we live in the simple conversations meal time with friends. God, help us to serve like you have so well served us. In your mighty name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's worship, y'all.
1: The sin that promised joy and life And led me to
0: Lord, we love we love like you did and like you do because you first loved us walk with us this week lord as we step out into our world to be servant minded to count others as more valuable than ourselves as we love the community around us in jesus name amen have a great week guys